have questions about your health? A simple pill won't fix your problems. And there's so many points and opinions on the internet that a web search just leaves you more confused. So why not take the time and listen to those who know best? Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective right here and now. So let's bring it to your host, Dr. Jonathan Carp, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. Okay, 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp. Health 411 from the Health Studies Institute at Ryder University. Truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business of health and healthcare. Welcome, everybody. I'm in the studio here with Diamond McNellis, our producer, and Dr. Drew Stapleton, a professor in the Department of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience and Health Sciences here at Ryder University. Welcome, everybody. How are you doing? This we are doing great. We're excited about today. All right. We're going to talk about injury prevention in athletes, especially as it relates to movement injuries, which is Dr. Stapleton's area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit? I see a lot of letters here after your name, there, Dr. Stapleton. A, it's like alphabet soup. Alphabet it? soup. <laughs> what do all those letters mean? So alphabet soup starts with, I guess, after the doctorate, uh, my doctorate in kinesiology. Was really in physical education is where I got my start. But then the uh, I'm a certified athletic trainer by training and a certified strength and conditioning specialist as well. And that's really where my my undergraduate career started in athletic training uh, up in Central New York, focusing on and working with various athletic teams. I actually worked with the field hockey team at Cortland, class 2001, won a national championship. That was pretty cool. But really getting into treating athletes as they get injured, preventing their athlete or preventing their injuries, helping them recover and get back and get back to their playing and their activity. Okay, yeah. and what's interesting about that is, is that a, a lot has been learned. And what's interesting, too, is we live in an age where one's knowledge about training, one's knowledge about exercise, whether you're an athlete or not, is probably more so than ever. Yet, That's true. there's a time... If you look around, there are more injuries than ever. Also at, true. At, also very true. And across the nation, there, despite knowledge about exercise, knowledge about injury prevention, that we also live in an age of obesity epidemics. Also true. Also very, very true. <laughs> and one of the things, and, and you're probably not going to talk about this, but in my world, we all have our favorite sports and favorite things. One of mine is baseball. Okay. Right? And then back in the day, there's this thing called Tommy John surgery, which was this rare thing. This pitcher back in the 70s basically reconnected two of his bones, and the surgery was done to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, and this happened to a guy who was like his mid-30s. Now, it's like something like 60 or 7% of those surgeries are being done on young adults, yes, teenagers. Yep. Like, oh my God, like, what is that? I don't know all of the, the specific numbers and percentages of young athletes and pediatric athletes that have gone through and had that surgery, had their surgical procedure. It's basically, it's a reconstruction of the ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow, so the inside aspect of the elbow, that as 
young as children and kids are participating more in sports and becoming single sport athletes there are they're overloading and overusing their body parts and parts are wearing out at a rate that we've yeah. never seen before and this something never happened they haven't it's seen like it before the, the age no. the days of the three sports star in high school are, I believe, are rare were you a three sports sports star I wouldn't use star <laughs> but I was I was a three star three sport participant maybe the better way to put very that. nice, yes, very I would, nice. Yeah. And, and and what's happening now is um, as, as you mentioned mentioned students and athletes are ha- having to specialize much much yes. earlier in fact yes. there's, an, there's an entire industry built around the specialization of people whether it's their baseball football yes. hockey, yep. all these things yep. out of there that that's sort of a side Cyber it is, and yet it's related, yeah. though. That's the nice part, is that as specialization increases, we're having people, whether it's, uh, whether it's a kid playing football or basketball or baseball or softball or soccer, the more they do of that activity, the more the load increases, the greater their chances of getting injured or sustaining some injury. And then as they continue to train, they, they, keep, they have to work through all of that. They never get a chance to rest. Right. And that's one of the issues yes. with specialization. So, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's the, oh, I'm exactly the path I want to take you on, okay. Dr. Stapleton. Okay. Because what we're starting to talk about here is injury prevention in mm-hmm. people who are active, whether they're young people yep. or older people, adults, even the elderly, right? There's mm-hmm. a there are there are ways of approaching injury prevention. Right. And there's I know there's one that you're sort of an expert in. Its initials are, you know, SEM. SEM. Tell us about what SEM is. So this SEM is the social ecological model, um, and it's a theoretical model that's used to describe more interventions um, than it is prevention of injury. But those interventions are designed to promote activity. You talk about the obesity epidemic a couple of minutes ago. Um, that's really where I was introduced through it through my training was through physical activity interventions. But it's also a way to look at all of the determinants of health and the interaction of the determinants of health and how that might impact whether it's the individual, um, the community, the government, and then the interactions back and forth between those different levels. The further out, so at the center of the at the center of the model is the individual, and then the further it's kind of like concentric rings of a tree. The further you go out from the center, the larger the intervention that's necessary, and the larger the impact is. So one of the larger, one of the further furthest out sections is either community or government and policy and if there's a policy that changes that policy change trickles all the way down and affects individual behavior and the individual behavior then changes and that's where whatever the health outcome whether and it's that's exactly what we're going to talk about so we're going to take our listeners through the socioeconomic model of injury prevention and movement prevention at the core of this is basically starting with the individual athlete. At the most peripheral things, you have government policy and ideas with that. And then Correct. there are levels within that that people should should know about. And the whole Correct. idea is, is not only to prevent injuries, but to be aware of injuries, to know what to do about injuries. And the thinking is, if people at all these different levels of individual, team, community, society, mm-hmm. even the government, understand why injuries are happening, mm-hmm. understand the physiology, Things can be done. Now there are about preventing them. Now there are risks with that, and we're also going to talk yep. about some of the risks later in the show. And some of the risks are known, some of them are unknown. And the, and would you agree there are a lot of charlatans out there? Dr. There, oh, there certainly are. There certainly are. And there's for everything that's known, there's 
probably more that we don't know yet. And the interaction of some of the risk factors that you were talking about, they start to compound and add on to one another. And it's not as simple as a one plus one equals two. Sometimes it's one plus one equals four or six. And sometimes it's one plus two equals five. So there's there's odd combinations and things. I can see that why you're not teaching math here. No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I don't teach math. That's true. Um, so the interaction of all the different risk factors is really where the where my interest is because you can't focus on all of them at once. So from an intervention standpoint, you have to pick something that you think you can intervene, that you can create a change in, in order to improve the outcome or limit or reduce the number of injuries that the population or that sample of athlete is going to have. Excellent. Now, is there a, a certain kind of injury or c- kind of athlete you'd like to focus on for today's show? No, not really. Um, I think, you know, you, you brought up the, the question of whether or not it's a child. It doesn't really matter whether it's child, adult, could be a traditional sport athlete, so football, soccer, baseball, any of the traditional sports. Could be non-traditional sports, taekwondo, martial arts, somebody that's physically active versus an athlete. What, what exactly is that definition? Um, exactly. How, how about this? sort of the older, like myself, elderly and, population. And, and, right, and an so older the, population, so the, the things, baby boomer and geriatric population. So the things population. we're going to talk about are applicable. Are relevant to all of those, absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, this is, this is going to be a great, great conversation. All right. Diamond, anything you would like to, to add to our conversation as we lay the format for today's show? I'm, what do you want to know? I'm excited to hear more about the injuries because I know okay. a few people with many sports injuries. So mm-hmm. that part, I'm absolutely, excited. absolutely, okay. we so can get into those on, yeah. the, on the intervention sort of side. Yep, we'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We'll be right back. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. 1077 The Bronx, 1077 TheBronc.com, live from the Konarni's Public Health Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp. I'm joined here in the studio with Diamond McNellis, our producer, and Dr. Stapleton, ATC, athletic trainer certified, and PhD. Correct. Correct. Always the chump, we used to call that. (laughs) (laughs) Pile high and deep. As somebody who used to be on the sidelines Mm -hmm. back in my college days, I I say that with a smile and love (laughs) in my face, Dr. Stapleton. Dr. Stapleton is an expert in the socioeconomic model of injury prevention and Mm -hmm. intervention to prevent injuries, which we are going to use sort of synonymously here for the show. I understand there are could be be subtle differences. Can be. There can be. It's applied. The model is applied in a lot of different areas. So and so I, that. In, in order for us to understand this model, the way that Dr. Stapleton is, is going to approach sort of our discussion of injuries, imagine concentric circles. Yep. At the center of the circle are individual athletes. Mm-hmm. Surrounding individual athletes are, what, are what's called the interpersonal level, would be the coaches, their teammates, the people directly surrounding them. Correct. Outside them, Correct. you have things like a school, an organization. Mm-hmm. Right? Outside mm-hmm. them, you have a community, and outside the community, you would have society with mm-hmm. rules. What's neat about this SEM model of looking at prevention of injuries is it's, it's not focusing on any one of those. Correct. It's sort of a, a, bi, it's a multi-directional interconnection yes. of all these different levels. Yes, it is. Of all these circles 
circles that sort of surround each other. Mm-hmm. Have I captured the you, essence? You're of, pretty much hitting the nail on the head with it. That's right. that's it. And, and, yeah. and a great example would be we were talking in the break about the NFL. Mm-hmm. Right? These are the NFL, some of the highest trained athletes in the world, mm-hmm. are, arguably. Mm-hmm. Yet, can, you can hardly watch an NFL game without people getting hurt. You can, and yep. sometimes very, very seriously. Sometimes very seriously. At least some of yeah. these people are some of the highest trained athletes. They know the most. Yeah. Right? And we've in seen theory. The, in, in, in theory. theory. <laughs> and and they, they arguably have spent their lives. Their yeah. job is This working. is their job. Their is, job is, is working out an and performing as an athlete. Yes. Most of us don't perform at that level. Not really. Most no. of us are weekend warriors. At, or, at best. <laughs> yes. Or college athletes. Or yep. we, you know, we work out mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. 30 minutes a day on the treadmill, and, whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So the injuries happen all across the board. Injury prevention is it? Does it really matter what level of athletic performance you're? You so want no, it doesn't. So I'm going to example that kind of illustrates all of this is a really hot topic in the news right now. And actually, the the release of information of the study just came out was released uh, last week from the University of Maryland. The, the offensive lineman that died or passed away during spring training campus, so st- spring season strength and conditioning sessions on the field. Um, here's a, I think he was 18 years old, has issues, has difficulty completing the workout, individual person individual level. So we start at the smallest ring talking about one person. His teammates are helping carry him through the rest of the, the training session that he was doing just so that he could finish. So there's the interpersonal. Then you look at the coaching staff and the coaching staff, and this is what came out in the report, the coaching staff is or was allegedly cursing at him, yelling at him, berating him, this individual who's struggling to finish the workout despite an apparent knowledge of signs and symptoms right. of heat illness. What we used to call, you know, get up off the ground, stop being a wimp, come on, exactly. you can do this. That's pretty much my understanding yeah. of what happened. And so this athlete then collapses on the field. He's transferred and transported into their athletic training facility. It takes over 30 minutes for them to initiate treatment. Now you're at the organizational level. So what is the university's policy? What is their emergency action plan? If an athlete gets injured, what are the steps that they, have, they should be taking to treat that athlete in an appropriate using best practices? Unfortunately, he did, he did die. He, his core body temperature was over 106 degrees, so the proteins in his brain started to denature. All the, the negative side effects, the ultimate negative side effect of heat stroke being death, leads to the largest ring in SEM, which is policy. So who sets policy for NCAA, or for, for collegiate athletes? It's either the NAIA or the NCAA or the uh, Junior College Athletic Association. And there are policies in place that are supposed to prevent this sort of condition and this sort of situation from happening. Requiring medical staff to be present, requiring an emergency action plan to be developed regarding uh, training and certification of the individuals that are being tasked with caring for those athletes and those patients under their, their guidance. From And then you look at the organizational level again, just from the university system at Maryland. And did they do everything that they were supposed to do to help create an environment where the risk of injury, there's inherent risk in everything that we do. You can walk out the street, walk out on the street and fall down the curve. You can get hurt. Okay. There's inherent risk with participating in athletics. It doesn't matter what it is. But are those risks managed and mitigated in such a way that they're controlled to minimize the ultimate risk of death? 
Right. So there was a politician a few years ago who wrote a book saying it, it takes a village to raise a child, mm-hmm. right? And so in the sense of, you know, anybody who wants to move, Correct. right? Um, it sort of takes a, a village. It takes all these levels of understanding. It does. To help prevent injury. Mm-hmm. And the prevention of injury, and you hit a very important point, is not only stopping it from happening. It's if it starts to happen, what do you do, do, you do? to minimize right. the consequences of that? Mm-hmm. And it involves mm-hmm. like, all these different levels of understanding. It does. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and the scenario that you describe starts at the bottom. Is an athlete recognizing the symptoms. Yep. It's like my body isn't right. Something's I'm not sweating, right. you know, too much. Yep. I have a headache. I'm dizzy. Yep. And yep. in this case, the athlete, for, you know, for whatever reason, didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. His his teammates didn't notice that he wasn't focusing, that he was confused. Mm-hmm. His, you know, he's wobbling. Or they right? did notice, and or, this or, is the or, cultural the perspective, cult- that, that microcosm of exactly. a culture. It was pro- like, come on, contributed suck it, suck to, it up hey, you better get through it. this. You got to get and, going. And then it just it moved on up, and the, right. the ultimate negative consequence in this case was death. Absolutely. And so. Old school, so you know, old school way mm-hmm. of thinking, mm-hmm. and we've both mentioned it now. Says, suck it up, get back out there. You can do it. You know, you have a whole week to rest, kind of thing. And Absolutely. this SEM model, this new—not really new, but sort of the the, the, the avant-garde way of thinking mm-hmm. about en- mm-hmm. in injury prevention and intervention mm-hmm. doesn't do that at all. No, not really. And what's really interesting, so to take the, we were talking about the NFL and the the elite level athletes that are in the NFL. NFL is used all the time as this mecca of, hey, these are superstar athletes. And they are. They're elite level athletes. The NFL has not had a heat-related death in, I want to say, 10 years. I can't remember. Wow. Corey okay. Stringer was the last NFL that. player that died. Yeah. The Corey Stringer Institute is now is it through the University of Connecticut. Um, their, their main focus is developing policy and awareness and educational programming to prevent heat illness because it's 100% prevention. The heat stroke's 100% preventable. The NFL, with the elite-level athletes, has not had an athlete die of heat stroke. NCAA has had almost 50 in the last five or six years. I can't remember. Don't quote me exactly on those wow. statistics. But it's some. There, there is a big difference in the number of, of student athletes. This is 18 to 20, somewhere in there, 18 to 22 range, eight years old range, that are dying every so you want over to the course of years. Failure of whether it's at an organizational levels. level, correct? Right. Absolutely. Uh, of, Absolutely. The, of this model, we spend a lot of time as an athletic trainer. We spend a lot of time focusing on the individual and interpersonal levels, mm. Take training and educating, and, and trying to make student athletes, college student athletes, and secondary school athletes more aware of the individual risk factors. How much water do you need to drink? What kind of clothing should you be wearing? What should you be eating? What should you be doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint and then the cultural that interpersonal level we spend time on working with team building and recognizing signs and symptoms of potential head injury or heat illness or whatever or buddy system being able to help a friend out and the culture that's created within a team like certainly if you know your teammates if you know you, right you, you, you I mean you should know how they talk what they thought think about yes and recognizing signs mm-hmm. and I mean even in the NFL, you see that all the time. This year in the NFL, um, there are new rules. I mean, the past three weeks, Clay Matthews from the uh, okay. uh, from the Green Bay Packers has been fouled, uh, being g- given a penalty for oh, the yeah. way he's tackled quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. he's called the you know the NFL is getting soft, right? It's, and it's part of this like macho it's a mentality. culture of machismo, yes, right? And mm-hmm. so part of the model, part of preventing injury in in athletes or even the weekend warriors is recognizing all these different levels, mm-hmm. so that. 
you don't get hurt and you're aware yeah. of the kinds of things you do mm-hmm. get hurt. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk in, in, in a few minutes of the kinds of things, the kind of interventions. Let's say developing goes. interventions that may be at various different levels to ultimately prevent injury to the individual. In the individual, yeah. whether you're an athlete or... Well, what is an athlete? Define an athlete. Because <laughs> an athlete, we've got traditional sport athlete. We could have non-traditional sport athlete. We could have the geriatric athlete. Exactly. What about the Special Olympics? They're still athletes as well. Absolutely. They're, they're athletes in a true definition. But what about an occupational or industrial athlete, police officer, a firefighter, mm-hmm. someone that um, is working in a factory building, like a steel worker. Those are occupied. Or uh, actually, I have a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, who's an athletic trainer with an organization and a couple of their clients. They provide athletic training services for industrial service. So electrical linemen. They are, one of their clients is Anheuser Busch up in Brooklyn. So loaded. How much is it? They're, they're loading kegs in and out of a truck all day long. Those are athletes. So yeah. the services and, and, and the and interventions I've that we... I've heard a rumor, Dr. Stapleton, that some of your research involves like first responders, firemen, and policemen and stuff like that. It, it, Excellent. It, we'll, we'll, we'll come back okay. and we are going to okay. talk about this. <laughs> so we'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. From healthcare to the environment around us and everything in between, Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences, is here expanding your knowledge and perspective. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. You're listening to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp. I'm joined here in the studio with Dr. Drew Stapleton and Diamond McNellis, our producer. We are talking about injury prevention. We're here with Dr. Stapleton, who's actually done some research that we were touching on at the end of the last segment about injury prevention. And we we, we started the discussion talking about athletes, Mm -hmm. Um, but Dr. Stapleton brought up a very important point. Not everybody who moves is an athlete. That's true. The people who often have injuries that are movement-related can be, you know, people who are moving as a function of their job. Mm -hmm. Firefighters, police officers, other kinds of first responders. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. Stapleton's going to tell us a little bit about his research in this area. So, yeah, my research in this area really... Where it comes from is my interest in in protecting and wanting to prevent injury. And so wanting to prevent injury for an athlete or for a student athlete, the end game is getting them on the field or in their competitive field of play so they can keep doing what it is that they want to do. If we take a step back and define athlete a little bit differently or a little bit more broadly, that individual that's moving or that movement is a, is a big part of their job, such as first responders or industrial settings. Firemen. Um, firemen, first responders, firemen, police officers, EMS personnel, um, or industrial workers, whether it's in a factory or in some sort of beverage industry or linemen where they're climbing up and down a ladder all day, mechanics, auto mechanics. Movement's a big part of their job they're still doing the same repetitive loading that an athlete would, maybe a little different form, but they're still doing the same thing. One of the... Con- and, and so, so in, in, the, in the end, a pulled back muscle is a pulled back muscle, whether Correct. you're a professional athlete, That's, whether you're yes. you know, loading beer kegs into the back. Absolutely. You know, and do it for, Absolutely. Or, or and so really where it comes down to, or what's, what's kind of interesting to me, is that that student athlete, so you're a student athlete, you get, I think it's eight semesters with the NCAA of eligibility. So if you miss one or two games, even if you're a football player, you play 10 games a season, you miss one or two games, okay, that's two weeks out of four years. 
if you miss two weeks of work and it's your occupation that you're being that that's potentially two weeks of either less or no pay Mm -hmm. which means are your bills getting paid at home what's going on with your insurance if you even have health care insurance so there's much more at stake i think from an occupational standpoint which is really where it seems it's much more high stakes so that return that you would get by preventing injury or getting those individuals back to their activity right and that's where the that the socioeconomic model comes in correct because part of the injury prevention and part of the training is not just at the individual level correct it's at your you know fire brigade level it could be at the correct it, it moves on or it could be policy level all the way up to government making rules about, okay, NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, making certain policies about, okay, a ladder step has to be a minimum of or a maximum of, I think it's 12 inches. And that's designed for when that firefighter is fatigued, they, can, they don't have to reach too high, or the weight equipment or the testing that has to be done for them to be able to go into those situations so that they're prepared for that no matter what it is that they're doing. Right, so it's a theoretical construct construct in which to attack some of these Correct. preventive Correct. Kind of things. So you were mentioning before that a, a strained back muscle or a strained back muscle is a strained back muscle. It doesn't really matter who it is. Well, it doesn't really matter who it is because if you hurt your back, your back is involved with pretty much everything you do. Every movement, standing up, sitting down, walking, talking, coughing, sneezing, using the bathroom. If your back hurts, life is pretty miserable. Yes, and we all probably life know people who have miserable. had back injuries or had them ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I remember an episode where I hurt my back pulling weeds yep. in my front yard and I crawled into my house and my two sons like laugh, were laughing at me and Absolutely. mocking me as I was mm-hmm. laying there in pain. I, I have a, <laughs> a former offensive lineman that I used to work with, 18 years old, and on Sundays we would have check-ins after football games on Saturday, and he would walk walk into the athletic training clinic hunched over like a 90 year old individual and I would laugh like what man you can't be hurting that bad and lo and behold fast forward a few years where I was working on a deck doing some construction on the deck building a deck and I couldn't get back up off the deck and walked into the athletic training clinic a you few days later and I was that 90-year-old guy and I looked at him and I said, I will never make fun of you again for this because right. that pain and that discomfort is, it, it's just not worth it. And until you experience it, you don't truly know. It's a, it's a situation, as one example, where that impacts just about everything that you do. And so that impacts the quality of your movement, that impacts the performance of whatever your job is. If your back is injured, can you really pick up that 50, 60-pound keg every day? Can you climb a ladder? Can you take a 50-pound hose and carry it fully charged with water the full extent that you need to do? If, if you are a firefighter and you have to go into a burning building, into a structure fire with an injured back, if you're thinking about that there's a psychological component to this as well, that if you're thinking about the injury that you have, that you're not necessarily focused on what it is that you're doing at the time, and that predisposes you to additional injury down the road. So it becomes this kind of snowball effect or potential for snowball effect even more. Yeah, this is cool. something I have vested interest in. My mom and my brother both suffer from herniated and bulging discs. Okay. My mom was in a car accident when she was 20 where she actually broke most of her back. Okay, her I'm nose. sorry to hear that. Ouch. She survived and thankfully she did because I'm here now <laughs> with everything that happened and like my brother was a baseball player and okay. he herniated some lower discs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now they're actually desiccated there's lack of blood flow to them yep. 
He's yep. 26 years old, and when his back goes mm -hmm. out, he crawls around and walks with a cane. And that's about all you can do, yeah. And when you talk back to quality of life... Absolutely. And, and there is a psychological component to it, mm -hmm. because he's nervous to go on vacation. And there's a fear that's associated that with, with that pain and discomfort that, that comes along with yeah, it, absolutely. If, if he sits mm -hmm. for too long, like he's planning a honeymoon, he really wants to go to Italy, and he's okay. afraid he won't make the flight. Be able to sit on the plane for that long, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's one of the... So from an interventional standpoint... Uh, the term you're, there's there's a term for that exact condition called kinesophobia. It's the fear of movement because movement causes pain. Pain's an unbelievable motivator, or demotivator as the case may be. And so any intervention that we can do, whether it's the use of pharmaceuticals, better living through modern chemistry, I like to call it, or it's some sort of exercise regimen or some sort of whether it's a therapeutic modality, anything we're doing at that, particularly with back injury. If we can improve the quality of life, if we can make the patient feel better, that's a victory. And if we can make the patient feel better and they want to move and that, that fear of movement comes down, that's a victory as well. And it's not just back injuries that we have that with. I mean, it's really, whether it's an ankle injury or a knee injury, those, the specific body part is really irrelevant. So, Dr. Stapleton, do you think there's a way to anticipate or predict who might be susceptible to different kinds of movement-related injuries? I would like to think that there is. But there's not one specific aha test or battery, test battery that we can use that says absolutely this is going to predict every injury that's going to happen. Is, is it's certainly not a 100%. Is that because people haven't thought to try to figure that out? No, not at all. There's people a lot smarter than me that have been doing this a lot longer than I have that have gone through a lot of trial and error and more error, I guess, yeah. than, than but, anything but we else. we all know so. in injuries you know, impede performance, either athletically or at work. They're, That's they're, correct. We want to avoid them. Mm -hmm. We are at a time where, you know, society understands the idea of working out. It's not right. like when I was in high school back in the 70s and I decided to lift weights and my father would make fun of me because in his day, the only people who cared about how lifted weights, mm -hmm. who cared about how their body looks were the people who chose to have same-sex relationships, right? And so we now know that it's not the case. Everybody works out. Everybody does these things, yet... Right. Where we started, injuries are more so than ever before, mm -hmm. and some of and them I are more severe than ever before. So, so how come we don't have a way to predict and understand who's going to be injured? So the, it's it's short answer is it's complicated, Doctor Carp. It's very <laughs> complicated, complicated <laughs> which gives me job security. <laughs> so what it comes down to is that there's there's so many different factors that come into play and whether or not an individual will or will not sustain an injury. So you said that there's more injuries now more than ever. Okay, Th that's true. There are more injuries now more than ever. But as a society, there are more individuals, even with the obesity ep epidemic, what it is, and physical activity rates declining, there are more individuals participating in sport than ever before. Uh, so just um, the exposure to that sport increases their it's risk. So, so, it's a, it's a the more they it's do it, issue. the more there's a yeah. the chance for injury. So the susceptibility goes up as Correct. more people are participating. Correct. And you also have improved diagnostic techniques. Yeah, actually, the, the SEM model actually suggests that there's more awareness of these things now, too, Correct. which is a good Correct. consequence of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these are some of the things that we're going to talk about. And one of the side effects of having all this awareness is sometimes there are abuses there's, of that. And there's abuses and almost too much information. And what do you pull out of it exactly. that really matters? And I would like to go with that with you in the next segment. Fabulous. So we'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. 
A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. Bronc 1077thebronc.com live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm joined in the studio with Dr. Drew Stapleton, and we're talking about injury, injury prevention, and one of the things we were talking about was the idea it, it, that there's so much more knowledge now, there's so much mm-hmm. more awareness about injury and injury prevention. Is that always a good thing? I'm gonna, I wanna ask you, Dr. Stapleton. Well, I don't know that increased awareness is all the bad thing. The, the, the question is, what do you take from it and how do you sift through all that information and sort out what's actual factual information, what's true, what's legitimate, and what's a bunch of baloney, for lack of Absolutely. a better term. And that's one of the things that I, I would like you to address as sort of an expert in this field. Okay. It seems like we're, we're, in a, we're in a world where, you know, we have the Internet. You can Google, you know, we were talking oh, about yes. sore there, backs before. There are physicians everywhere that love the internet. They love like the you internet. You can sense can... the sarcasm coming through. Oh, that's... absolutely. Oh, yes. And, like, how do we know what's real and what's not mm-hmm. real? Because one, mm-hmm. one of the reasons we have this 4-1 show is help to decipher what's real and what's not real. Absolutely. There's so much information yep. out there. Yeah. I guess the question is, where would you like to focus on what's real and what's not real? So from a movement perspective, we're trying to find a test or a test battery that can identify and predict injury there are some that are better uh, the examples like the lower extremity oh what's it called the lower extra i can't remember the name of it right now it's the less l-e-s-s is is pretty useful at identifying risk of injury for acl injuries or patients that have had an acl injury they score lower on the less than they do on than those without an acl injury um there's, a, there's another test that I use in my research called the Y-Balance test. The Y-Balance test is really good at predicting those individuals, not necessarily that might be at risk of an ankle injury, but that are more likely to have chronic ankle instability, which is a recurrent um, recurrent episodes of ankle instability. So your ankle goes gives out, your ankle rolls out, basically. Some of those are, are better. They're more predictive, but they're specific to those one individual injury or condition itself. And that's one of the reasons that the literature is so hard to understand. Yes. Because if you were to look in the in the peer-reviewed literature mm-hmm. on this stuff, mm-hmm. the papers that are out there are like specific to rugby players Correct. In Ireland, so that, that specific right? population specific is very players, narrow. Specific yep. to baseball players. But then the definition of injury is also unbelievably varied. Anywhere from an athlete, so the NCAA definition of injury is that the individual, the, the patient, must be out of activity for at least one day. Oh wow! Compared and so, to and, and some of compared your to someone you've actually some of my publishing research. Mm-hmm. shows that it's it's hard to compare studies, it, right? Because there's a range from okay, an injury is you've missed training for a day, you've missed training for three weeks, you missed work, re, you missed work, you were needing some sort of intervention. Doesn't say right. what the intervention is. It just so is an ice bag an intervention? Is I just got to sit down for a minute an intervention? What? Right. And from my background, I say you know I feel bad. I feel bad, I, and, and therefore like, I'm, I'm sad. I'm depressed, and I right. just can't do it. Even right. though you know, so part of my my brain's part of my body, but mm-hmm. if I can't do it for psychological reasons, that's another. Reason that is that, another. That's another it, issue that yeah. all that all folds in on this. That's absolutely and so, and so correct. what happens to a consumer on the internet? You start googling around stuff. Absolutely. If, even if you know to read the primary literature, mm-hmm. it's all over the place yep the definitions of words 
art, art and words, all, words all, matter. All over the place. Words, words matter. matter. <laughs> and then somebody claims to be able to fix you for over the weekend. Yes. Or for a couple hundred or thousand bucks. What do you say? So. I, my opinion has really changed over the, the course of my career so far. And really now where I'm at is if you're not doing any harm or nobody's or the individual it's not doing anything where you're getting worse, then it's not hurting anything. Is it optimal? Are you optimizing your return to activity or getting better, improving performance? A lot of the, a lot of the literature says that the yet to be determined or inconclusive, that there's discrepancies between the two. So really it comes down to kind of the the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. Mm -hmm. And as long as the patient's not getting worse, okay, that that sometimes is as good as it can get. And Uh, you have to sometimes doing things that might not actually having a physiological effect do work. I mean, there's a society, we have a word for that. We call it the placebo effect. The placebo placebo effect is a real condition. If it works for that patient, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. (laughs) My own research (laughs) was actually stimulated by looking at mechanisms of that. So it's a real thing. Absolutely, it's it's a real thing. Yeah. So as we we look at this, I'm going to come back to this danger idea, which fascinates me, because there's so much stuff out there. The consumer has so many options. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to yep. injury prevention, injury risk, mm-hmm. what do you advise people? Well, the first thing I would advise is that you consult with your physician. And if you have an athletic trainer, you have athletic trainers. But should you wait medical. until you have an injury before you do anything? Um, you know, I'm thinking. Should you wait until you an injury until you, you go talk to a physician? Not necessarily. So I mean, you go to a health club. You go to any health club, whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, or just somebody who's active. And on every piece of fitness equipment and every health club or gym that you walk into, there's always the warning label that says, "Consult with your physician before you." Con- before right. you initiate right. your and activity you program. And there's a bunch of waivers. And there's a bunch of waivers and a bunch of lives. That's, all, right. that's all risk management all, all the way up from a policy and organizational level. Right. Absolutely. Model. And so should you wait until you get injured to go see someone? No. Are there things that you can do to help reduce your chances of sustaining an injury? Yes. The biggest one is get up and move. The more active you are, while your risk of injury increases, the more active you are, the body adapts to activity, and so your muscles get stronger, your bones, tendons, so ligaments get stronger. Activity. And, the cumulative and, effect right, so is it, positive. It, even if you work hard, your body adapts Correct. to working hard. Correct. The said principle, specific yeah. adaptations to imposed demands, yes. Yeah. Whether that imposed demand is taking the stairs versus the elevator, or it's parking further away from the door, those are simple little behavioral changes that one can do to build in a little bit more activity in their day for the average person. And those um, are also things that the community can do or businesses can do absolutely. To, en- to encourage the to health encourage and well-being physical activity. of their people. Correct. Yep. Right? You know, yep. you have stairs that are easily accessible right. and put the elevator in the corner. You know, make it, If you it, make it harder to get, get to, the elevator, people will more people will walk. Yes. Right? Yep. And, and, and or things like that. even things from a, what's called the built environment. So where we were, before we moved to New Jersey, we lived in, in Morgantown, West Virginia, and in a city south of Morgantown in Clarksburg. And one, more, West Virginia has one of the highest obesity rates in the country. It also has a very low amount or low, I guess, percentage for lack of a better term and access to areas for physical activity, something simple like a sidewalk. It's awesome living here in Lawrenceville. I can go out the front door and right at the end of my driveway is a sidewalk and I can be on a sidewalk from where I live, take my kids to school, either a sidewalk or uh, the trolley trail, Mm -hmm. the trolley line, the old trolley line. And so those are opportunities that are built into the built community. into the environment, into right. that community to promote physical activity and safety. 
and to do it safely. In West Virginia, if I would go out for a run or go out for a walk, I'd have to, or, or for a ride on my bicycle, I'd be dodging coal trucks and log trucks. And here, because of the way the environment is structured, one, it's safer with the sidewalks. Two, there's more awareness to everybody else around. So when I go out now, if I go out for a ride out towards Mercer Meadows or out towards Hopewell and Princeton, the drivers, just the traffic, there's a bike lane, number one. Never had a bike lane in West Virginia. Usually it was like six inches on the side of the road. <laughs> the side of the road, um, right. But the awareness of other people no around plays. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no potholes, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Senator Burr. There were yeah. craters, but there weren't <laughs> potholes. It was in the summer that that got taken care of. Yeah. But that the environmental structures, things that are built in, make opportunities for exercise and activity better the more we can do one reduces health reduces disease components like cardiovascular disease can be used to combat diabetes but also from a musculoskeletal standpoint the more you move the stronger your skeleton gets the stronger your muscles will get Mm -hmm. and all the supporting connective tissue that goes with it right and sometimes injuries come if you don't build that up if you do too much too or too too much too fast absolutely and so it's not a race no and you brought up the the idea before about every everybody's a little bit different everyone and so everybody needs to start where they need to start Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and you know people are going to end up in different places too but it's about it's about improvement it's about the journey and the process as much as it is the end game of i'm going to go from zero to to 120 right away and, and that, that takes time that, that and, takes pain time and to patience build up. and an Correct. understanding and getting Correct. it to the core of the you know SEM model is it you know you have to understand what you want to be able to do. And you have to I be able to understand what's happening. And yeah. Just, and you have to understand the individual physiological, what's going to happen physiologically to your body that's going to allow you to progress or from a coaching perspective, what's mm-hmm. going to allow that athlete to progress either in speed or mm-hmm. in strength or in power. And knowing that, like this is, this is one of the other areas, is that a child, pediatric athletes, mm-hmm are a world of difference from an 18 to 22 year old college athlete. So anyone that's volunteering as a coach that's Mm -hmm. going in and taking the, to use your old school approach, we're going to take this model. This is what I did when I played high school football and I'm going to apply it to peewee football. That'd be horrible. That that has potential negative side effects. (laughs) Very, very (laughs) negative side effects. That's right. Excellent. Excellent. We're at 1077thebronc, 1077thebronc.com live from the Connery's Public House Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp with Dr. Drew Stapleton and Diamond McNellis. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, and we hope to have you back. Have a great afternoon, everybody. You too. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to your health with Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Karp is here from Roddy University's Health Studies Institute every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information about the Health Studies Institute's programs, call 609-896-5093. That's 609-896-5093. Or find their webpage on rider.edu under academics and academic programs. Be sure to tune in every week to expand your knowledge and perspective. And don't forget to stay healthy.